1: Well, how are you know, scared Story, kid. But Jesus! Sit down, you, you thing. Here, you. Don't be acting a maggot. Great day for the washing. Head on you on the price turnips. Were you born in a barn? I'm allergic to this. What day
0: of birth did I say? Ah, there. There's your man. My lovely listeners, what is the crack? How are you all getting on? Welcome back to another episode of Tis Yourself with myself Nicola Barden. This is season four of the podcast and for all my new listeners who are only here because of my guest today, hello, hello, hello and thank you for coming along and discovering this little podcast. Um... I decided to go a little different today. So um, anyone who listens knows I kind of try and mix it up. So, you know, I've had everything from singers uh, to uh, actors. We've had politicians. We've had footballers. Um, We've had GAA players. So I'm trying to, you know, mix up this uh, fame world. Um, We've had uh, Peter McFarry, of course, who is a homeless campaigner. And then we had uh, Megan. Megan Sims who is an activist so yeah like different people who are known within the public eye for different reasons and I have my first author today and he is from near me so he is from Drada um, but lives in Dublin. He is Mr Derek Landy who. I'm sure now a lot of you have joined just for this interview because you're Skullduggery Pleasant fans and you're like, what is he going to say about the new book? What is he going to say about Skullduggery? What is he going to say about, is it ending? Ah." So for those people, you're going to love this. We've got so much to go through. Um, If you're a budding writer, of course, there's some more, there's info in there for you. And if you're just someone who's not really into writing, but you're stuck in a rut in your life and you're kind of thinking, my chance to mix things up has gone I'm at a certain age where I can't change my life and whatever I have chosen for myself is the way it's just going to have to be. This is an episode for you. Derek, I spoke to um, a couple of years ago. So he was releasing the last Skullduggery Pleasant book and I did an interview with him for The Irish Sun. And at the time I just was so fascinated. I didn't know that much about him at the time. I, like, I knew he was an Irish author. I knew he would had these you know books that were really Like, at that time, we were, like, I think he had 14 at the time or something. And, you know, they were obviously a great big hit with young adults. I didn't know that much about them, though. But we were on the phone for so long, and I learned so much about him. You know, he grew up um, on a farm, a family farm, where he used to work in the evenings and after, you know, school and all that kind of stuff. And at weekends, helping out his dad. Um, And he didn't achieve his dream. I suppose he didn't even like start the writing of Skullduggery till he was 30. So for like 10 years, he was actually working on the farm and, you know, kind of resigned himself to maybe this could be his life. He was trying to do screenplays and movies and stuff. He had a stutter as a child and overcame that. And like he, and now he is meeting fans all the time. He's doing public speaking. Um, He's a great role model in both those senses for people who are worried about their their dreams slipping away or people who've had stutters and are now trying to overcome them. So I think that's amazing. And we just got on really well and I saw that he had a new book coming out, Hell Breaks Loose, and it is the prequel to the Skulldruck Read Pleasant uh, series. But can you listen from there and then try and go back and read the others? Well, that's something we'd discuss. But yeah, there's so much here for us to discuss. You'll really enjoy it, um, whether you're a fan or not. I think there's something in there kind of for every little group of you know, wherever you are in life. If you do enjoy it, please do leave us a review or a rating or follow us on Spotify and um, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you're on yourself, Facebook, um, Apple, you know, the usuals. Look, even Blind Boy has to beg for listeners, okay? So just don't judge me for doing the same thing. <laughs> um, and if you do enjoy it and this is your first time listening, scroll back and see if there's anything else, any other guests that maybe you might have enjoyed. But that's enough beggy Mitchell for me, okay? That's, I'm not going to do any more. Please, please, please. I'm to <laughs> Please be my friend, please. Um, I'm going to leave you here with Derek and I really hope you enjoy the chat today. And I'll be back with you at the end of the episode.
1: Hello there. Hi, how are you? Hello. I'm
0: very excited to chat to you again and actually see you this time. The last time I spoke to you was on the phone and Mm -hmm. that was the last school degree. So we'll get cracking straight into it. um, Awesome. If that's fine with you. Um, when I spoke to you the last time, the one thing I suppose that I always, when I think of you, I always remember is that there's this idea, I suppose, that people achieve their dreams or start the path to their dreams when they're in their teenagers, especially now. And if you don't achieve it by the time, I suppose, you're mid-twenties, that you're not going to achieve it. And that wasn't the case for you at all.
1: No, no. Uh, if that had been the case, then I would have been stuck working on the the family farm. So that was never the dream. <laughs> um, my, my father, um, uh, once he realized that, uh, you know, this guy is not destined to uh, take over the family business. He was relieved because he said, okay, that means I can retire as, as, as at some stage, so long as he gets his life in order in whatever other area, um, he's he's aiming for. So, you know, I've just come from a tour and, uh, you know, one of the the questions you get asked repeatedly, you know, apart from, um, you know, where do you get your ideas? Do you have any advice for an aspiring author? Um, Mm -hmm. There are all these people, they are searching for, and you can tell, you can read between the lines of their questions. They are searching for someone to tell them that it's going to be all right. It's going to be, okay, you you stay at this, you will make it. And the unfortunate thing about being a writer is that there is no guarantee. Um, in fact, the odds are stacked so heavily against you that it's like, why even bother? Why try and the flip side of that is, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, if if I had been set on a plan in which my I had uh, fulfilled my destiny by my mid twenties, uh, I'd have been screwed right now. It, and, and as a slight tangent, I I went. I made a speech at my old school, uh, Ed, Ed Drahada Grammar School, um, a few years ago, and uh, I had never been the best student, um, always head in the clouds, always dreaming, always daydreaming, never uh, committing, never studying, never actually uh, doing the homework um, or paying attention, uh, but I was charming, so I got away with it. Um <laughs> So I was making a speech to the school and and I was and I was, you know, fully upfront about uh my shortcomings as a student, but I was I I was just talking about how when I was a teenager and when I was in my twenties, I thought there was a straight progression from A to B, from A who you are now to be who you want to be um successful thriving happy whatever that may be your ambitions fulfilled or at least embarked upon and i thought there was a linear progression so i had to achieve it's like a video game i had to achieve certain things i had to beat certain levels And certain bosses, in order to progress to the next level all the way up the chain. And as I said to my old school, um, that's not the case. It it isn't a case of an A to B. There is an A to 2 it's not the same alphabet. It's not even the same. Uh, it goes from an alphabet to a number. It's it's however you get there, however many tangents you have to uh, go through, however time you ricochet back to the beginning and you start all, um, over again, that's the person you are destined to become at the end of it. It's whoever you become. There is no right answer. There is no right approach. There wasn't one when I was a, teenager there isn't one as a writer there are no you know there is no set uh, number of achievements you must unlock in order to progress you just it's different for everyone
0: it's a, it's one of those things that especially now in the you know 2023 20, and all that the idea of going to your leave- insert and knowing what you're going to do for the rest of your life seems so insane when you actually think about it because like, how at 17 do I have a clue that, and, and even if I like this idea of whatever I'm going to study college, do I want to do 40 years, 50 years, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the, this pressure we put on ourselves to think that we have to be like someone else because blank achieved their dreams by 22 or 32 or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it It's, um. I mean, I remember the, what is it, you fill out the FOSS, it, no, it's not the FOSS, it's the CAO. CAO. There you go. Not the boss. Uh, yeah, the CAO stuff, which I never had a clue about. And, you know, you would think... I, I thought back when we were filling them all out that s- s- some of my classmates, they had a definite, definite view on how their life should progress. So they knew, they, you know, filled out the CAO. They 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 could see their future clearly you know they were as lost as i was and it it is it is blatantly ridiculous because the the teachers and the guidance counselors everyone is looking at you like they're expecting you to know even though they know that you don't know mm-hmm. and so but they but i think it's a mistake not to admit that because they want you to tick that particular box and so they are treating it like okay you're 17 you should know this okay. but they know that it's ridiculous but um i think it is a mistake for them not to admit this not to acknowledge this and mm. because if i had known at 17 that you know what it's okay. You don't have to know everything. You can make your best guess. Not, don't put so much pressure on yourself. But I had, I didn't. I, I hadn't a clue. Um, nobody does.
0: And so, when you were, you know, going into that situation, a student in secondary school, and you're like, see, face with the CAO, did you want to be a writer then, or were you just kind of? I have to just go along and work on the farm. That's
1: my kind of destiny, I suppose. Um I wanted to, to either be an artist or a writer. Uh in school, they they were my were my subjects, English and art. And I I was good at art. Uh I myself and my friend, we we bonded over comics, I think, as as 12-year-olds so it was always us we were the art teacher's favorites and because the art teacher at the time was also the principal um ah, we got <laughs> so much leeway uh by the time we were in fifth and sixth year we had been we had been a, a given a spare room in the main building of the school where that we could use Every every free every free period, every study period, we were up there uh, drawing, listening to music, uh, making comics to the absolute envy of everybody else. Yes. And it, it, in fact, we. You know, there is a recurring thing about um, being an adult looking back at your school days because you realize how much you took for granted and how much you didn't appreciate what you had. And we we didn't really appreciate um, the fact that the art teacher was the principal. We enjoyed it because um, he was always on our side. But we didn't appreciate it, and so we kind of squandered the opportunity by inviting by basically having an open house in that in that room, which was the stupidest thing in the world, and eventually it got taken away from us. but in school we it was always us um we were we did the art, we did the comics so i he got into art college because he passed the leaving and got in. I failed the leaving. had to repeat the leaving in Plunkett College in Drumcondra. And um, I went to art college the, the next year. Uh, but I was never as good as him. Mm-hmm. And so while I was good enough to get in, I wasn't good enough to stay in. And I went to animation college in in Ballyfermot. Um, and a fantastic time. I loved it, uh, but I loved it too much. And the <laughs> same kind of thing repeated um, in school. I I didn't do the work. I I um my head was always in the clouds, even in art college. So yeah. So it was after I messed up. After I failed the first year of art college, and I was, and I was kicked out. I went, OK, I am now, I acknowledge that I'm going to spend the next few years of my life working on the family farm, which, you know, was a staple of my childhood. Every weekend, every school holiday, I was I was out there working, always hating it completely. But uh, it gave me money. Mm-hmm. And w- when I got kicked out of art college, So I'd messed up school, I'd messed up college, I'd messed up art. There was one thing that I had left available. The one thing I hadn't yet messed up. And while in school, I was a very close second in arts. I was always way ahead of everyone else in writing. So I said, "Okay, so I'm going to focus on writing. And um, at the time, I focused on screenplays because... First of all, I love movies. Second of all, writing a screenplay is like a 100 or 120 pages, um, whereas writing a book, it's so much more work. Mm-hmm. And um, I understood the structure of screenplays. I understood the structure of telling uh, a kind of story in a particular kind of way. So, yeah, I I decided, okay, not only am I going to be a writer, I'm going to be a screenwriter. And so, yeah, I was nineteen or twenty. I was twenty when I got kicked out of art college, and uh, that was that was it. That was the the decision. Um, I had one chance to get away from the family farm. I had one chance not to be a failure, uh, not to be a loser, not to spend the rest of my life hating my life and hating myself for for landing in this, you know, um, in this uh, career that I had no interest in. And, uh, yeah, that was the big decision that I made at 20. The realization that I either take something seriously for the first time in my life and commit to this thing, or I'm just going to be a waster for the rest of my life, um, and un- until Skulduggery happened uh, 10 years later, I had recurring dreams about uh, being back in school as a grown-up, as an adult, recurring dreams about being back in school. And the moment Skulduggery happened, they went away because the dreams, they were all about proving myself they're all about proving to my family my friends and my teachers that I wasn't a screw-up um, and uh, the moments I tasted uh, success they all of those dreams went away.
0: It's mad how much pressure you put in yourself as a 20 year old but you saw yourself as a failure I know what believe in the leaving insert is you know it's ingrained into us that it's this amazing you know it's this life defining thing and when you actually go through it you look back now yeah like it starts you on the right path or whatever if depending on the career if you're going to be a doctor yes you do have to know you do have to pass your leave insert and you have to get all the points and same with events. I, mean, I,
1: I i don't see why
0: <laughs> but like creatives really the, the structure yeah. of school is not it's not meant for everybody it's not meant for a lot of creative people as you said like you know I passed my leave cert, but like my first year of college, I got into marketing. I only did that because my friends had all put it down and I was like, oh yeah, I'm done marketing, yeah. whatever. One year in, I'm like, oh dear God, this is so yeah. serious and it's nine to five. I'll be yeah. you know, that kind of way. And there's you at 20. Whereas if a 20-year-old said to you now, my life depends on this decision, you'd be like, no, 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 it
1: doesn't. Hold on.
0: Yeah. Calm down. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and and in fact, if if a 20-year-old said that, to you your immediate response would be you're in the wrong environment the people around you are telling you all the wrong things mm-hmm. they are and and yet at the time uh it was friends it was family it was parents it was um the structures of education and That's all, you know, that's all I knew. So there was no way for me. And so there's no way for any 20 year old now to step outside of that and go, oh, wait a second.
0: Yeah, this
1: isn't right. This is completely skewed. Um, So there's no way. So, you know, there's, it's not as if, we as a society have come to the realisation that this is the wrong approach because it's the same approach that we're still taking. So 20-year-olds now are putting themselves and they are being put under the same ridiculous pressure, probably more so um, uh, these days because everything is expected uh faster uh quicker uh um more um so yeah it, it's it's uh but creatives yeah we we i mean we are in the delightful position of being able to look at ourselves and go i'm different I'm different to everyone else. I'm different well, maybe other writers and artists and musicians and actors, you know, especially the actors, writer, I love comparing myself to actors because they' they're all so pretty. I'm going, yeah, I'm just like them. you know, we have the same kind of mentality. um but uh it it it's yeah, it's we are in the the enviable position of if it works out for us of um being able to separate ourselves from the nine to five um now there's only a tiny segment of artists who are able to do that and s- survive on that but uh that's always the goal um to not be normal yeah it's like you know
0: and friends who work and they work the nine to five, and they love it. They're eight to half four or whatever. And they love it. They love knowing what they're getting every day when they go to work. They love knowing the job is exactly what they want, and they have the idea of the promotion. You know, in two years' time, I'm going up the corporate ladder, etc. And to me, I'm like, oh, you're choking me with that. Like, I can't yeah. think of anything worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I I was um, can't remember what I what this was in reference to, but. A few years ago, I um, it was probably something to do with the cost of living, and something to do with how people uh, lived their lives. And I'm going, okay, I do what I love every single day, and so, oh yeah, it, it was. I think it was because I was answering um a question because when I was uh, until a few years ago. Um, I thought I didn't uh, work hard Um, because I was like yeah I mean I you know I get up in the morning and I don't have to commute I get up and I you know have breakfast and I feed the cats and I feed the dog and I answer emails and then I'll start writing and I'll write. And then, you know, you go to the gym and then you come back and you go shopping and you come back and you do a little more writing. And then in the evenings, you know, first of all, I don't have kids. Second of all, I don't have any responsibilities um to anyone else. There's just me and my girlfriend and our animals. And, uh, you know, we'll watch movies, we'll watch TV, we'll play uh, video games, the both of us. You know, it's ideal. And so for years, I refused to countenance the idea that I worked hard. And every time I said this in an interview, my mother would read it and I'd get a text saying, Derek. I go, yeah, you do work hard. No, I don't. And she said, just because you love it doesn't mean you don't work hard. And so recently I've I've stepped back and I've going, okay, I start work, you know, I sit down at the computer at half nine or ten. And I stop working at ten at night. And yeah, there's the gym on the times I have to go to the gym. And if I have to pop down to Tesco fair enough, take the dog for a walk, absolutely but I always go back to work and when I'm not working, I'm thinking about working. So, I I was in this, this place in my mind where I what, did not view what I did as hard work. Um, I've since changed my tone. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, so, I work extremely hard, but... I love it so much that I would be doing this as a hobby uh, Mm -hmm. anyway, even if I couldn't do it as a job. So when I think about hard work, that's how I view it. I was like, okay, yeah, you work very, very hard, but you know what? You do it anyway. You love it. And then I realized that's not most people. Most people work extremely hard at something they have no personal investment Mm in and then that started me going, oh, my God, I'm at such a uh, remove from everyone else I know, because they, they, you know, go in and they go into the office or the workplace or whatever, and they're thinking about, and they aren't living for the work like I am. They're living for the time, for the weekend. They're living for the holidays. They're living for when I Get home. I'll be with my family again, or my partner again, or my pets again, or I'll just be alone, which is wonderful. Um, and so the, I realize, you know, as lucky as I am to be a writer and a successful writer, um, I and as hard as I work, I do not. My hard work is not the same as everyone else's hard work. My hard work is so much easier um, because I'm working for myself and I'm working at something I adore. And I sincerely do not know um, how I would cope with, like, a quote-unquote proper job Um the the amount of dedication hard work grit and just yeah sheer strength um, that everyone out there has and they probably think you know they're just nameless drones and you're going like dude you're you're you know you're doing what I couldn't or if I did do it I would have to yeah oh my god Anyway, that just occurred to me a few years ago. How how disconnected I am.
0: But it's not like you never were in that position because, as you said, you left college at twenty, and you discovered didn't come to you until thirty. So there's ten yeah. years there where you weren't yes. living this life that you are now. That, you know, you're not getting up every day and being like, "Yes, can't wait to yeah. do." This, you
1: know? that that is true. But in those ten years, I hated it. I was miserable and i did live for the weekend and i did live for lunchtime and i lived for mm-hmm. after work everything else i hated i resented and i was bitter about doing but uh so yeah i suppose i did did that as well and so when it when when it came to my dreams being being realized I just bloody leapt at it. I embraced without a backwards glance. I left the farm (laughs) behind, and just you know, all I could see ahead was sheer happiness. Uh, But yeah, I suppose it did take ten years of unhappiness to propel myself out of it.
0: Was there like you? So, school degree didn't come to you until you were thirty. Between that time, I'm guessing you're still writing whenever you get the opportunities to try and weave your path out away from the farm.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I made two... I wrote two small Irish films. I wrote uh, Dead Bodies and Boy Eats Girl out in 2003. Oh, Samantha was in that, wasn't she?
0: Yes. Yes, Yes, I remember. I didn't know you wrote that, but yeah, I remember
1: that film. And, and, you know, the, the the... That was, both of those movies were hugely important. I mean, okay, they didn't exactly set the world on fire, but they told me that I was good enough to be a writer, that I was a writer. Yes, I wasn't really making any money. You know, both of those films solved my credit card debts for, you know, a nice length of time before they started cracking up again but they were it was proof that i was a writer and you know when when being a writer being any kind of artist you're constantly up against your own doubt in yourself and everyone else's doubts so you have to battle to stay that i Said this um, a few years ago. I now meet friends of my, my parents. Uh, and especially in the like few years after Skullduggery happens, when it was all it was all fresh, it was all new, and I would meet a friend of my parents, and they would be overjoyed, and they go, "I knew you when you were a kid. I knew you when you were making up stories, and and just you know this little this little this little kid just you know wandering about, um, and now look at you, you're." you've made it you had a dream your dream was unlikely it was against all the odds but you persisted you 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 stayed true to your dream you stayed true to your yourself your own idea of who you are and look at you now you have succeeded where you know untold um numbers have have faltered you this is brilliant and uh it's it you know you you had a dream and you stayed true and it's wonderful and uh those were those that was the kind of response and reaction that I was getting all the time and so doggery pleasant um as a character he popped into my head in two thousand and five his name popped into my head. I haven't a clue how or why. Uh, two completely unconnected words arrived in my head together, forming a name. The name told me who he was. I saw him. Uh, he was a tall skeleton in a suit dressed like a 1940s uh, a private eye Um, So he was a detective and he was a skeleton and he and I knew everything I needed to know about him. I knew what he was like and I was suddenly writing a book. And. So I got that that name popped into my head in the summer of 2005 and I was in a hotel room in London because I was over in London meeting with producers to try and get my next uh, film made. And I was in this horrible, horrible hotel room uh, on the seventh floor. It was in the Regent Palace Hotel in London, in in Piccadilly Circus. Didn't have any air conditioning, didn't even have a bathroom in the room. You had to go out and and down the corridor. It was the only one I could afford. And I remember I was on my feet. I was standing um, beside the bed. And the school Pleasant arrived in a moment, in a finger snap, it just happened. And that and you know the rest, you know, it fell into place, it was wonderful. But if on the street outside a car had honked its horn, if in the corridor outside my room, if someone if a group of people on a stag had wandered by, being loud, being rowdy, I would have been paying attention to that. If I had stubbed my toe, I would be paying attention to the pain. So that moment where Skulduggery appeared to me would not have happened. So that moment would never have occurred. And that evening would have gone on as normal. And the next day I would be meeting more producers for something that never got off the ground. And I'd go home and I'd be focusing again on screenplays and maybe I'd have got another movie made. Maybe I wouldn't have. What if that was the case and if, I had never had that moment of Skilduggery Pleasant. Then all of my parents' friends who were approaching me and going, you had a dream, you stayed true to your dream, look at you now, aren't you wonderful? They would be going, isn't it time you faced reality? This isn't going to happen. This is a lovely dream, but it's a fanciful, it's it's a fairy tale. The odds of it happening are hugely against you. Um it's not gonna work out. You should focus on something else. You should okay you you hate the farm, get a proper job, you know, like like do some training, mm. um, work in an office. My my mother over the years had been trying to 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 get me to as a backup to do Random, to embrace random careers like drive a mattress delivery truck. In one memorable uh, occasion, she was trying to convince me to become a firefighter, Uh, the only mother probably in Ireland to (laughs) want her son to run into a fire. But yeah, the same qualities that, that were getting me plaudits, that were you know, that, that 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 people were admiring about me. They're the exact same qualities that would have got the same people going, face reality, you're you're a dreamer, you but you're delusional. And it is scary how close it I came to that. Uh it 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 reinforced that um especially for artists, for writers, um Sometimes your entire life hinges on a moment of inspiration or an idea that comes from nowhere and you either are in a position to seize the opportunity and to uh, recognize a good idea when it, it appears or you're so caught up with Daily life that you know what it kind of slips by you. You don't recognize what it is. You don't recognize what it might be, and so yeah, your 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 life continues as it is instead of rocketing uh, off in a lovely new direction.
0: And it's it's like when you said earlier, but when you used to think that you know writing your job because you loved it is not hard work when you actually think about it, there's a, probably a lot of people out there who think that writing a book isn't the hardest work. You know, it's like, oh, you get in and you write, you type a few words, etc. But actually, especially with a series like Skullduggery, there's so many characters. You have to know everything about them. Like, you have to know them like they're real people. They are friends yeah. 25 years. You have to know what they like to eat. And you can't go in book 13, something that completely contradicts book one, where she's, you know, yeah. let's say somebody says, you know, I'm, I would never eat meat or whatever and then you see in book 13 he's eating a cheeseburger and then you, the yeah. fans who are so invested in it because it's like anything if it's like marvel or any of the big obsessions someone's going to go excuse me sorry now hold on a second rewind <laughs> and then you've got people slate in your book and people who haven't even read it and you know there's a lot of there's so much research that goes into it and thought before you even start typing
1: yeah chapter one yeah, I mean I've I've got I've got a timeline. I've got multiple uh, documents on my desktop. Uh it, they I it really should be one document, but for <laughs> some reason I've got five. <laughs> uh and it's not as if each document is a different topic around the skull It's no, they're all the same. They they interweave.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I've got to keep a track of what it is I'm talking about and how it led me from one document to the, the next. And I have a timeline. And over over the years the timeline has expanded because you write the early books and you can get away with stuff like um there was a war that went on for 300 years between the good guys and the bad guys. And that's mm-hmm. all the reader needs to know. By the time you get to book say 12 you can't just say this is a war that went on for 300 years. Not only do you have to give more detail, you have to give um, the repercussions of this war because the more work you put into it, the more uh, writing you do, the more attention you give to the details, the more details you require. Uh, in order for them to make sense Um under closer scrutiny. So I have a timeline that started out fairly simple. Um, You know, Skulduggery was born in this year. He died in this year. He came back uh, in this year. He did this in this year. He was betrayed in this year. You know, and so you go on um, and then you write another book and you fill in some blanks. And so you go back to the timeline and you go okay 10 years before Skulduggery was born his mother did this and then you know and then you add her stuff and then you add the father then you add the friends and then you have the 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 wider world um hmm. the, the events and so the more you write the more the timeline evolves and i <laughs> i okay so there are multiple drafts of any book there's Hmm. the first draft that you send to your editor and there's the draft that is published and especially in the early books those two drafts can be radically different i used to torture my editor by sending him the first draft and it took him a week to read it and compile his notes and by the time he was ready to send them back to me I would send him an email going okay forget about that I have completely restructured the book <laughs> and I have kept the everything I've written but I've rearranged it and I've changed the names and I've changed the characters and who says what and so now it's a completely different story so he has to go back over it again and um, and so the the difference between the first draft and the published draft was immense. These days, I'm a lot more professional. And I know yeah. now what goes into a book. And I know not only what goes into a book, but what stays in a book. Um, I know that if I'm, I don't write scenes that I will not use, that will be edited out. Uh, I used to do that. Um, because I didn't know any better. But now I know the, t- the kind of scenes that will go, the kind of characters that will eventually be amalgamated into one to save time and uh, to preserve clarity. So these days I can start at the beginning of a book and I can write all the way through to the end and it's pretty much um, ready for, you know, Publication. Mm-hmm. It needs editing. It needs other other opinions to come in and to ask me questions about. Hey, Derek, are you sure this is the way you want to go? And then if it's not, I'll absolutely change it. Anything to make the book better, I embrace. But I've gotten a lot more professional in my writing as I've gone on. But especially in those early books, there are fifteen. Skullduggery books in the proper series, and I'd say for half of them, a good half, maybe the first nine, I would change radically some details. But the 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 stuff that sticks in my head are the details I put into the first draft, mm. not the stuff that appears in the final draft, not the stuff that's actually published. So when I'd be writing something in book uh, 15 and I'd be referencing something in book three, my head, the detail I'm taking is from my first draft, not from the finished published version. So I'm making so many mistakes. I'm terrible (laughs) at maths. Um, I always say that a person is this age and then I will, see, the thing is, (laughs) okay, now I will say that, say, Valkyrie is, Mm. uh, okay, in the first book, she was 12, in the latest book, she's like 30, no, 27, 28, and every book doesn't exactly take place a year after Mm. the last one, sometimes it's three months, sometimes it's a year and three months but i was keeping a track i thought of her age as we as i went and then i mentioned in like book 7 that her birthday is in august and i thought you know that's fine because obviously she has to have a birthday but i didn't yeah. realize that because the books take place at all different stages throughout the year that if I if I say that her birthday is in August, then that means in book six she would have been like seventeen, not sixteen. And so the oh. wonderful thing about having such an enthusiastic uh, readership is that they will let me know. They will let <laughs> me know when I mess up, uh, and. uh, Last year or the year before, we came out with The Grimoire, which is essentially a guide to the books for people who don't have time to reread the entire series, but a new book comes out. I essentially released a book with a synopsis of each each book and the short stories, and I added so much stuff, and we had illustrations, and it was as awesome as we could make it. But uh, between the hardback and the paperback, you have a chance to go back in and fix typos and fix mistakes uh, for the reprint. So we were about to publish the grimoire paperback and I went on to Twitter and I said, okay, have I made any mistakes in the grimoire? And I got back. Google documents. (laughs) I got back uh, pie charts and flow charts uh, of the mistakes I've made and the errors in maths and uh, the inconsistencies and the contradictions that I have um, inadvertently made over, you know, I mean, first book, I wrote it in 2005. So that's, that's like 17... Years ago, eighteen years ago. Okay, so yeah, I've made some mistakes, um, but yeah, the readership will let me know, which is lovely of them. Um, <laughs>
0: You're just so for the day that you tweet and no one has anything to come back and like, "That's actually perfect." You're like,
1: "Great!" <laughs> <laughs> I will have succeeded.
0: Well, isn't that lovely though? Considering like how long you wanted this career and how you know you did have to really work for it, and this came to you, and as you said, it could have you could have missed it, something could have happened that you didn't get this. You've got now, you've built up more than 15 books, you've got these fans that are so engaged with it that like, you know, I know some fans come to Ireland to kind of, you know, match up things from the books and get ideas in their head of where such and such happened, where this war happened or this battle or whatever. And that's so amazing because like, when you were sitting writing, trying to describe this skeleton that came to you and you're like, how do I sell this skeleton to people? And now it's like this phenomenon for these young readers who take it upon them like when's the next book, when's this and, and yeah. I'm so passionate about it.
1: Yeah it, it's um, that part of it doesn't get old in the slightest. The weird thing about being a writer is th- is that you quickly get used to seeing your book on a bookshelf in a bookshop, uh, and suddenly you know you have a new book out, and you would think that seeing it on sale would be a thrill, and it's really, it's not. It's <laughs> like okay, good, right? It's up there, excellent, and you carry on. So there isn't that amazing feeling of accomplishment that you would expect, but the fact that it has had such an impact. And, you know, as you said, there's, you know, 15 books. There's, you know, a prequel, a spin off, uh, you know, short stories, whatever else. Um, and it's still selling what it is. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's, uh, there's still a demand for it, um, which enables me to continue uh, writing. Um, it's just astonishing. The, even in, okay, the, the last tour I did last year uh so i it was getting to the point where I'd go on tour, and you know you'd be signing for five six seven hours and it was it was exhausting, but it was wonderful, but people would be standing in line for five six seven hours mm. and when you stand in line, you start to chat, and so I was starting to sign books for groups of friends who met in in signing queues. Wow. And I
0: was
1: like, oh, my God, I, you know, th- they are friends. They have found each other through these books. Then I was starting to sign books for uh, boyfriends and girlfriends and girlfriends and girlfriends and boyfriends and boyfriends who had found each other in the signing queue. Then married couples. Mm-hmm. Recently married couples with babies. Wow. I have come and they have gone, you know, this, we met in a signing queue. We bonded over the books. Now we have, I don't know why they never name the child after me. Because <laughs> technically, <laughs> I'm the reason the kid exists. But okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'm willing Although, to forgive that. Is there any baby skullduggeries out
0: there, you know? Has anyone got
1: I think there might be a few Stephanies and a few Valkyries <laughs> but uh yeah there's there's no little Derrick. Um but um so in the past few years I've been noticing oh my god actual children people are they now exist because of these books. Um in the the signing that I um the The Little Tour, I I just did signings in Dublin, Limerick, and Wexford. The amount of teenagers, people in their 20s, who come up, because in the books... Okay, so um, the first nine books, uh, Phase 1, I established that everyone... P- pretty much everyone all of these sorcerers who are hundreds of years old have essentially evolved to the point where um where they are a pansexual so they do not care about who their partner is as long as th- there's a connection mm-hmm. and um in the first nine books this was stated Uh, now I used the wrong word I said bisexual instead of pansexual but essentially you know Mm. everyone I said over a few hundred years old is pansexual and I said it and I said it and I said it and I didn't show it and so you could look back and you can look back at those nine books and you go yeah I mean he says everyone is pansexual but Can You point to a gay character or um, a bisexual character or a pansexual character. And I mean, Tanith, I mentioned she had a girlfriend. And immediately after that, the signing I did after that, I got a load of girls coming up and going, thank you for Tanith because I'm bisexual and and suddenly i realized oh my god so this this line of mine this this sentence that means nothing to me except it's a bit of background to my character means the world to them and so when i embarked on phase 2 which was books 10 to 15 i said okay i i kind of whitewashed or straight washed the first nine books um i said i did not show so basically everyone in phase 2 is um openly pansexual um and i introduced my first and um, a non-binary character my first trans character um and in this last a- a tour i'm meeting so many Teenagers and people in their twenties who said, "I didn't really know what I was until I read the character whose name is Never. Until I read about Never, and then I was curious and I looked it up. As oh, that's that's me." Mm-hmm. And so the 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 um the, the effect the books have on people it has gone from. Friendships, uh, relationships, marriages, children, and now it's affecting people's identity. Um and so it, it's 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 because because I decided to uh show and uh, not just tell which is the big secret in writing you don't tell you show um uh but yeah having having a readership like that um uh it's it's uh kind of mind blowing and if you if you start off your writing career expecting it it will never happen um, if you, I mean, to be honest, if you start your writing career expecting riches and mm-hmm. money and success, mm-hmm. and if you start your writing career expecting that you'll get one book after your debut, then you're pretty much in for a world of disappointment. Uh, it's a constant struggle, it's a constant fight to remain relevant and to remain published. And to, to um not only uh, find a readership but keep a readership. Uh if you if you want to get rich, being a writer is not the job for you. It does happen, absolutely. But um if you're a writer, you're gonna write because you have a drive and a need to tell stories. Um And from the moment the book is out, whether you release it with a traditional publisher or online uh, from that moment is out of of your hands and it's up to the readers and they will either, it will either hit them uh, because they need it because they're looking for it because it, it, uh, it, It's the right idea at the right time and it hits the right people or it'll pass them by and no one will notice or your ambition, um, your uh, cynical ambition will be apparent for everyone to see. And so if they realize you're not genuine, if they realize um you're not honest, uh they're not going to support you, they're not going to support your work. Um so yeah, it's it is it has been uh, and it's it remains an absolute honor, I suppose, to be able to continue as a writer. Um And to continue one series for so long with so many books, it's just, yeah, it's not something you can anticipate.
0: Yeah. And I think that kind of lands in all the creative um, worlds. If you're a musician, an actor, podcaster, whatever, a writer, people people don't see what you do in the background to create this project and then that you put it out into the world and then, not only, especially these days you have to self-promote it's not this case of there's massive marketing teams yeah. that are like yes so it's you you do all the hard work and then it's like oh you mean it's not over i have to go and then you put out into the world where there's like you put it let's say the book on the shelf or the podcast on spotify or whatever there's 40 million others so you're yeah. like how do i get heard in this thing and yeah. but you have to take each small win because it's you want to get this out there this is like And then there's people that, like you said earlier, who would be like, do you not think you give it up now because you're not making any money Or Do you not think you should do this? So there's people negative around you all the time. And as you say, not everyone's going to make it. You know, I'm not going to be the size of blind boys podcast. You know what I mean? That's what it is. But if you enjoy it, 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 those words around you, try and silence them and don't focus on the money aspect or the career defining aspect focus on the the pleasure that you actually get of it. And maybe then it'll actually lead to more because you're not looking and going, I haven't made enough money. I haven't, you know, that kind of stuff. No, I only sold this many copies, only downloaded this many podcasts this week. Start taking joy as opposed to going, this is, my life depends on this.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, It's, it's such a, you know, it's such a delicate uh, balance between, um, uh, uh with it all it, it's it's because it's so untested and and there is, as we said at the start there's is no roots there is no one roots for everyone mm-hmm. I was asked during one of the signings um by an aspiring fighter, uh what's your advice on you know maintaining the finances while you're being a writer. You know what can I expect? You know if I... I'm like, dude, you you can't expect anything. That's the that's not the attitude you need. You need to embark on writing. You need to embark on acting, music, at podcasting, poetry, painting, with honesty, with honesty, and with love, and with enthusiasm, because they are your driving forces. It's not money and it's not ambition. It's, it's the love of what you are doing. You know, I mean, I've, I've met so many people over the years who um, reckon, you know, they can, okay, we, I've, I've got an idea. I've got a book. I can write a book. And you know what? They might. And they might write the book and it might be successful because there is no route there. Everything is possible all at the same time. But if you're getting into it for the wrong reasons, if you're getting into any artistic avenue, any um, arena in which self-expression is paramount, it's I mean it sounds like the most wishy washy liberal uh bull hockey uh but <laughs> but it is about love and it is about honesty and you've gotta be honest and you've got to to um present yourself to the world, and that's not easy either uh i mean especially these days it's 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 even worse i i appeared on the late late uh, once and like and i made the mistake of um looking up up twitter afterwards and like jeez i why would anyone appear on the late late i know uh, it's, it, it's horrific and you know um and it it's it's just uh, it you're 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 gonna be knocked back, you're gonna be rejected, you're going to be criticized not only for your work or what you are trying to do, but also for who you are, how you look, how you sound, mm-hmm. what you've said, what you may have said, what other people have interpreted uh you to mean. Um so it's 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 a hellish hellish atmosphere um that you are entering into and so uh, unless you are propelled by love unless you are propelled by a need to tell a story whether it's your own whether it's somebody else's uh it's a need to communicate and it's a need to affect people with this story because I suppose it is at the the base level of all art uh, is storytelling, painting, uh, sculpture, songwriting, acting, uh, anything that involves communication is about uh, telling a story. And so unless you're telling it from the right place, It's going to come across as cynical. It's going to come across as contrived. And those two fuel sources, they will burn brightly, but they'll burn quickly. And your engine will not be propelled far enough. Whereas love of something, love of storytelling... Uh, love of stories, you know, the need to share something with people. Uh, that's uh, the ultimate re- re- renewable energy source. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And me, like... Most people who are in this industry who have found some level of success will remember that when they started out, they had the job they didn't love and they did, came home from work and they got straight into whether it was recording music or writing or yeah. whatever. You know, you're, you're, eating your, you're eating your dinner really quickly so you can do the other thing that you really love or, you know, whatever. And that's, you know, it's now we're in an era where, you know, you can try, you can self-publish books, you can, you know, you can, put your ideas out on, you know, your own music on Spotify and, so, and podcasts and stuff without having to have an agent and having this, again, yeah. like this big team behind you. So, you know, there are so many avenues to get there, but you do have to realize that fame and fortune don't come, like they don't come quickly and they don't, sometimes they don't come at all. And so yeah. just having a job, maybe, maybe you're a waiter, maybe work in Tesco, whatever, see that as your driving force to get you to your next level, rather than being like, you know, if I write this book, I'm gonna be a millionaire because there's very few people that can do it yeah. and say that their book tends to be a millionaire, one book. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's it's um you know, there there is no shortcut to success in art. There is no shortcut to your own personal happiness, because what you think you want. Is not always what you actually need. Um, Fame and fortune. Fortune is lovely. Wonderful. Excellent. (laughs) But nothing bad to say about uh, fortune. I would like some more, please. Thank you.
0: I'll I'll let you know if I ever get it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Fame is a different kettle of fish. (laughs) Um, It is. It is. And, you know, this isn't even... Even this isn't the criticism and the the, the, the online stuff. This is the pressure uh, that you put on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you're on TikTok, if you're on YouTube, if you're creating, as they say, content—a um, phrase I loathe—but um, if you are creating a content. And your entire output depends on you being cool, fresh, funny yourself. Um, because this is the kind of stuff that you watch. Uh, but the amount of work that goes into looking effortless mm-hmm. is astonishing. The amount of takes, the not only the amount of work as they are filming, but the pressure the influencers the. Pressure the TikTok stars, the YouTube stars, puts on themselves because they know how ruthless it is, and they know how thin their success is, and they have to maintain their audience. They have to maintain their brand, and uh, it is it is hellish. So I'm 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 quite. Happy being at this level of um fame slash notoriety um I'm you know i I am well very well known to the people who like the books, mm-hmm. and so I'll go to a bookshop and I'll be there for hours and I will be talking to people and the enthusiasm and i'll see I'll meet the babies that are there because of me i will I will meet again the trans boy who um I met before they transitioned so i'm I'm meeting two versions of the same person I am meeting people adorned with tattoos of my characters i I'm meeting people adorned with with lines that I have written my own signature. They get me to write to write my signature on a body part. They go off immediately that they have it tattooed over, and they come back the next year and go, "Dude, check it out!" (laughs) And I'm, oh dear lord. Um, (laughs) So I am, I am wonderful, wonderfully happy with that level of fame, (laughs) but I would not like anything more. because it's not why I did this. It's not why I started. It's not why I, I do this. Um, and it is, uh, kind of scary and unpleasant
0: oh my god I absolutely completely agree like if I walk by a group of lads now and they start laughing they're probably laughing about something else but my paranoia levels be true the roof so imagine if I had any level of fame and yeah. somebody looked at me or pointed their phone in my direction I would be like out the door I'd never leave my house I'd be yeah. so I'd be the worst influencer of all time <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like and here's what happens on this side of my room today so that would be <laughs> it <laughs> but the fans are will be happy you have a new group your new
1: book out now that's the prequel yes. isn't it uh yes um hell breaks loose um a prequel to to the series that i, I was doing an interview earlier and um i was asked uh, so could this be like a new entry point to to the series i'm going i would love to say yes my publisher would love to say yes but no in order for this book to make any sense, you have to read the preceding 15 books. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, it said 300 years before, but in order for any of it to make sense, you need to read the 15 books. It, the, the, the weird thing, the, the counterintuitive thing about writing a long series is that, um, you would expect long series means success and it means huge amounts of money and it means you know and you know it can absolutely but and skullduggery is kind of an outlier because usually the way it works is that the longer a series goes on the more readers drop off because who wants to pick up book one of a 15 book series? Uh, Me, that's, that's who I would love that. I love finding um, a series at the beginning when there's 15 bloody books in it. That's like, okay, I'm now golden for the next year. Mm -hmm. Um, But most people that is way too daunting. Um, And so Every time we release a new Skullduggery book, my publisher, my editor pretty much calls me up and says, "Okay, Derek, now prepare yourself, because we have the graphs that will show you that the readership declines with a long running series. Uh, And yet every time we release a book, Skullduggery has booked that trend. Which is a testament to not only my publishers who are relentless in their enthusiasm, but also the readers who obviously are telling all their friends about it. Mm-hmm. And they are, and like you know, the the lovely thing about um, writing for quote unquote children. Uh, is that every book signing? There will be a new nine-year-old, a new a new ten-year-old, um, who have read the entire series in the last six months, okay. and they are burning with questions. But right behind them will be the person in their twenties who started the book series at age twelve, and now they are, you know, mid to late twenties or the person in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and then the parents who were reading it to their kids, and then they started reading it themselves. So there's always the constant resurgence of new readers, because Mm -hmm. there's always a constant resurgence of new people. But for whatever reason, the Skulduggery readers, the vast majority of them who took a chance Back in 2007, when the first book was released, the vast majority of them are still reading now. And so uh, that's not something you can anticipate. That's not something you take for granted.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And like, you know, to know that you've got people that, you know, even though they, I suppose, age out, I suppose, inverted commas of what the target audience originally would be, the fact that they stay on with it is they want to continue the story is amazing. Um, Yeah. I imagine that even though you've got this new book out you're probably already like in your head four books planning
1: <laughs> Pretty, I mean I I I mean we haven't even confirmed that there will be any more Skill degree books after this so there might not be I'll
0: get inundated with people writing to me now
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but 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 the, actually this year was meant to be the t- year that I had nothing scheduled yet i said i want i want time off um and my other said yeah absolutely but if you could write a shorter book maybe so i wrote hell breaks loose and then at the same time uh they were going you know what graphic novels were realizing the potential you know after af- after decades would you like to write one of those? And I'm like, yes, I would. So we have a, a graphic novel out in October. So, um, yeah, this is supposed to be my year off. <laughs> it's <laughs> and have like a full tick- circle,
0: out. though, because if you think about, you were saying like you loved art and you loved comic books when you were in school yes. and now you have your graphic novel coming out and like that's yeah. huge, like to think that that little 12-year-old kid has got when, Oh god
1: he, he 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 is he is buzzing and uh I'm I'm also writing for Marvel Comics um I write uh an avengers series and wow. um yeah so I get to write Captain America Iron Man I I I've written Spider-Man who was my absolute favorite as a kid so yeah I, I it's all of little Derek's <laughs> little dreams are just uh he's delighted. He is he is he is my inner child is giggling like a fiend.
0: Yeah, I'm like, you don't have kids. I feel like you are the kid because these are all your kid dreams
1: coming true. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I'm I can I can direct all my affection towards um my nieces and my nephews and my animals am a girlfriend um she's last so, yes <laughs> um sh- she knows she knows the hierarchy you know yeah. um but uh yeah it, it's it's you know i'm still the 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 person i was as a kid uh when i when i realized um that my imagination um could be my imagination was without a doubt the thing that separated me from everyone else um that was the you know when in school in, in primary school when you're you know given homework to go off and, and write a sh- a short story and I'd go yes and I could never understand why everyone else in my class went oh god I and I realised that writing separated us. And when I was a teenager, it was right. It was art as well, but it was my imagination that separated me from, from others. And because because I realised so early that that is what imagination can do, um, I I reckon I reinforced it. Uh, I focused on it i refused to let the world um dampen it Mm -hmm. um and that's what what artists that is their singular greatest achievement to to not let the world kick the imagination out of them to 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 uh, beat it um to beat them to uh, un- until they're they're shaped like everyone else so uh yeah the 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 same imagination that um got me through school and the same imagination that got me through the ten years working on the farm it is there because of the value i I placed in it um and it is still the quality that I value in people um, above all else, because imaginative people tend to be empathic. They tend to care more. They tend to be more sensitive. They tend to be open to ideas. They tend to be open to how wrong they can be. And so they, they, they're open to changing their minds when presented with a more compelling argument. Um, that's all down to imagination. And it isn't always art, that imagination comes to the fore, uh, but you can see it in business, that people with imagination uh, thrive mm. um, in in sports. How you approach a problem, how you approach... Uh, a dilemma a lateral thinking um uh is yeah it's it's uh I think now these days it is being valued more um because the world is just spreading out laterally so much. Uh back when I was a kid everything was very straight and narrow and it was very it was very linear. You progress in one way in one way only. Um, thankfully, for better and worse, uh that is not the case so much anymore. And it's the imaginative people who who will um adapt and thrive. That is the essence of 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 Darwinism. Um it's not how strong you are, it's how open you are to adapting. Um, so yeah, that's it's uh, a big, long, rambling answer to a question that I've forgotten.
0: <laughs> well, look, I think the the creatives and the budding authors, or the authors who are in the, stuck in a rut who aren't sure where to go in their life, or just you know the fans of Spudlbury and yourself, will have learned a lot today. Hold on to your imagination. Don't do it for money and fame. And yeah. just remember that when you're doing the shitty job that you hate, that you know there is a chance. You, whatever your dream or hope in life, it can still be achieved. It doesn't have to be achieved by 21. It doesn't have to be on the CAO or whatever it is in the UK. You know you can do just like yeah. I think. And, and we've we've definitely pressed on some important issues for people like that.
1: Awesome.
0: Well, listen, this has been a joy. We've chatted for so long. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You see, it was worth it. I missed the first I missed the first appointment, but I made up for it.
0: You did, and you gave me a great conversation. It's been so yeah. lovely and to actually see you while I'm chatting. To you, it's yeah. been a joy. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Thank you very much, Nicola. Bye bye, Nicola. Lovely talk to you.
0: Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye, bye-bye. So, Skullduggery fans, I hope that answered some of your questions. Um and very excited to hear that the graphic novel is coming out so if that's something that you're into that's coming out in October if you want to know a little bit more about Hell Breaks Loose so it is the prequel to the Skullduggery present um, books and it's set in 1703 in Italy so Valkyrie's not born yet um, Skullduggery is still dead uh, but he, so he's, he gets an opportunity to go back and get revenge on the man who murdered him and killed his family what will happen and then of course it sets up for the following you know 15 bucks or so so yeah this is one that your fans are going to love um, do pick up a copy so you can get it in chapters you can get it in gooder Bookshop you can get it in Eason's in Ireland obviously um, in the UK and in the US it's, look it's available all over Europe and in you know you can get it in any in Waterstones uh, in HarperCollins you can get it um, in Barnes & Noble in the US if you can get it from a small bookshop because obviously They need the business and there's nothing nicer than going into a small bookshop and just spending ages in there. So just, if you can, go in, find a book, sit down, have a little, You might start chapter one while you're there. I don't know, it's just really nice to uh, get back to the small bookshops, okay? I don't know, I just really like the idea, like I love going into bookshops and small bookshops um, or independent ones and, you know, your purchase is like... A really big deal we all if you know anyone who runs a small business you know how much it means to them so that's just my little um, my little plea um, so two pleas this episode one of them is like please follow me and please like me and the other one is um, you go to small bookshops like there are any little ones I'm not asking for any money so, um, but yeah, really love that chat with Derek. I think there's a lot to take from that. Um, I definitely associate with the idea of that you should have had your dreams come true by your, you know, 20 and like this idea that you know what you're going to be doing your leaving cert when you're 17. And then, you know, you're like having a breeze or I didn't get the points or whatever. And like Derek failed his leaving cert, had to go back and resit it. Then he went to these colleges that he thought he was going to thrive in and he didn't. And, uh, you know, then had to take 10 years, you know, trying to work on this dream and still having to maintain a proper job and there's so many of us out there that associate with that whether it is the likes of people running small businesses while also working a full-time job or you know running a podcast like while also having a full-time job making no money um or you know it's people who haven't been able to achieve their dreams yet so I think that anyone who has that in their mind this episode definitely makes you think do it do whatever it is on the side that you are loving until it becomes something that you can do full-time and if you haven't started it take this as your sign take this as your sign to maybe sit down come up with a plan of doing that thing that you always wanted to do and how can you achieve it and um, do drop me a message if you enjoyed this episode would love to hear from me from the fans of Derek's and I'd love to pass on some messages to him so that's all I have to say today go read the book go listen to a few more pods and thank you so so much for coming by today and press and play I really appreciate it you guys are amazing and I'm sending all my good vibes and love to you today especially those who are thinking about achieving their dreams and I also have to give a little shout out at the end of this episode to my sister Michelle and her boyfriend Jason who have just given me my first nephew MJ who was born Thursday night and um, this is a momentous occasion in my house because it's the first grandchild and as you can imagine we're all highly emotional and (laughs) he is going to be the most spoiled loved child between Tipperary and Louth and Mulligar so um, I have to just acknowledge this moment um, that the baby MJ is here um, ahead of time but looking beautiful and I cannot wait to meet him um, when he gets out of hospital. So yeah, I'm very, very excited. This is a momentous day for me and maybe this podcast will get to number one and this will make this bloody day even better, this week even better, if that is possible. Anyway this is that's my dream so that's the dream I'm going for podcast number one okay guys I was enough of me rambling um I really loved having this chat today and thank you so much for listening I love you always as always and I'll talk to you next week as long as all